Good morning, church. God is so good. Fortunately, I've prepared this way back. And over these last few days, I've been thinking to myself, well, Lord, you knew. You knew about today. You knew everything that was going to happen over these last few weeks. And therefore, I can stand here and I can do what you've called me to do. He is an amazing, faithful God. I'm going to start by reading Isaiah chapter 53. I'm going to read the whole chapter. I hadn't realized when I first um, was given this that it would be the Sunday upon which we shared communion, so it's quite apt. It's also very appropriate for what's gone before. God is amazing. He's fitted all the pieces into the jigsaw. So, Isaiah chapter 53, this is from the New Living. Who has believed our message? To whom will the Lord reveal his saving power? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, sprouting from a root in dry and sterile ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected a man of sorrows, acquainted with bitterest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way when he went by. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was for our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. All of us have strayed away like sheep. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of all of us. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, He did not open his mouth. From prison and trial, they led him away to his death. But who among the people realized that he was dying for their sins, that he was suffering their punishment? He had done no wrong, and he never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and fill him with grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have a multitude of children, many heirs. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of what he has experienced, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins. I'm going to read that again. And because of what he has experienced, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of one who is mighty and great because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among those who were sinners. He bore the sins of many and interceded for sinners. It's amazing, isn't it? 
Jesus has dealt with our sin, if we are born again, if we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, if we have come to him and we have asked forgiveness for our sins, then we have been washed clean by his blood and we have been declared right with God through Christ Jesus. And that is just an amazing place in which to stand today. But there are other things that we struggle with. And one morning in May, I know it was May because it was before we went to Cherish, and I woke up with these words, get rid of regret, guilt, shame, and condemnation. And I thought to myself, well, I have, haven't I? I didn't think that I was carrying all of that. But in the months following, God has done a deep work. And it it is amazing. Every time I have to stand up here and bring a word, he's dealt with me in some way or another. And so he dealt with me over the months, dealing with regret, guilt, shame, and condemnation. Some were more difficult than others. But if we look at this passage that we've just read, verse 5 says that he was wounded and crushed for our sins. That he was beaten that we might have peace. And he was whipped and we were healed. Therefore, Jesus has dealt with our sin and with our sickness. And we don't have to carry the burden of that. It's not always physical sickness. It can be inner healing that we need. It can be spiritual healing that we need. It could be physical. Then verse 4 tells us that he was a man, he was a man of sorrows, but he carried our sorrows. And sorrow is another word for regret. So he's dealt with our regret. Verse 6 tells us Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of us all. So he's dealt with our guilt. And verse 8 and 9 tell us, From prison and trial they led him away to his death. But who among the people realized that he was dying for their sins and was suffering for their punishment? Sorry, and he was suffering their punishment. So he has been punished instead of us, and therefore we are not condemned. So Jesus has dealt with our regret, guilt, shame, and condemnation, and therefore we do not have to. The other thing it tells us, that if God dealt with this on the cross, these feelings do not come from God. So if they don't come from God, then they come from Satan. And we do not have to accept them, we can get rid of them because Jesus has already done it. And we can walk free. We can walk free today if we are carrying any regret, guilt, shame, or condemnation. Why do we need to get rid of them? Well, we don't want to insult Jesus by not taking hold of what he has done for us. They give Satan ammunition to torment us particularly at night, and I can tell you that I've been there. 
and they block our potential for all that God wants to do in us and through us. And if you remember last week when Phil was saying we had to be empty so that we could be full of the Holy Spirit, then we need to empty ourselves of these things that don't belong to us and we don't need to carry. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. God doesn't do half a job. It is finished. He has dealt with our sin, and we do not need to carry it or the consequences of it. So, we are not condemned. We all know what it is to be condemned. When a prisoner is sent for trial and they're found guilty, they have a punishment. So they're condemned to death or they're condemned to life imprisonment or they're condemned to community service or they're given a fine or whatever. But Jesus has taken that punishment upon himself. So we don't need to be punished. John 3, 16 and 17, we know John 3, 16 very well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. But verse 17 goes on to say, Jesus came not to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. We've already had the Romans text up there. Jesus says, doesn't he, or Paul writes, I should say, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we accept Jesus as our Savior, when we repent of our wrongdoing and turn away from that lifestyle, we are not in any way, shape, or form condemned. You know, Romans chapter 8, which I'm sure you all know that scripture. Says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. But I want to read a slightly different version. Because a few years ago, I was at my sister's. Every now and again, my sisters and I have a girly weekend. And it's the best weekend you could ever have because we laugh so much that it's just amazing. We might not do much, go places, but we have a great time talking, reminiscing, chatting, sharing, and laughing. And I laugh with them I was going to say more than anyone else, but that's not true because I laugh with my kids like nobody else as well. You know, with people who know you and know everything about you and you can't hide anything, you can have a good laugh. Anyway, apart from the laughing on this particular occasion, I was sharing something with my sister about something that I felt bad about even though it had happened decades previous. And... Um, <clears throat> We were talking about condemnation. And she said, you've got to remember that although what you did might not have been what God planned for you, God still uses it for good. And we've got to always hold on to that truth that we might step out of God's will. We might think that we are condemned, but we're not because God uses everything for good. We'll come back to that a bit later. A 
few weeks ago when Hayden spoke, he talked to us about the woman caught in adultery. I'm not going to go over that. If you want to read it, it's in John chapter 8. But she was brought to Jesus by some of the religious leaders of the time, and they wanted to stone her because that was the penalty for adultery, stoning, stoning to death. But Jesus, in his wisdom, turned to them and he said, the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And of course, nobody qualified. So little by little, they drifted away. And then the woman was just left with Jesus. And he said, neither do I condemn you. But he also added, go and sin no more. So we have a responsibility you know, when we have an encounter with Jesus, we don't want to sin anymore. When we have an encounter with Jesus, we want to be different. When we have an encounter with Jesus, we feel different inside, and we have different desires, we have different appetites. And so, once we've met with him, we don't want to go back to the old life of sin. Neither does he want us to. So he says... I don't condemn you, I forgive you, but there needs to be some changes around here. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, if you are a thief, stop stealing. You know, and you could apply it to anything. If you're a liar, stop lying, whatever it might be. If you're a gossip, stop gossiping. There needs to be a change in our lifestyle. And you say, well, I've tried. I've tried to change. I've tried to stop lying. I can't help it. Every time I open my mouth, a lie comes out. Or every time I open my mouth, a swear word comes out. I can't help it. That's just who I am. No, it is not. That is a lie from the devil. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do everything that I'm called to do through Christ who strengthens me. So if the Holy Spirit has put his finger on something in you and said, right, this bad language has got to stop, or this whatever has got to stop, then he equips you and gives you the power to do it. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we can be free from condemnation when we know that we have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Just one little addition to that. Jesus has taken our punishment. So we do not need to punish ourselves. One other thing. Jesus has taken the punishment we do not need to punish each other. You might be miffed with your spouse. And you might give him the cold shoulder. Or sleep on the edge of the bed. Or whatever it is. You might punish him by not making his favorite meal. Or whatever it is. No. It's not for us. To punish one another. 
my husband punished me once. He didn't actually know he was punishing me, but he expected me to darn his socks, would you believe? <laughs> this is going back many decades. And um, I was going out with a friend of mine at church, and um, she said, what have you been doing today? And I said, oh, I've been, <laughs> been darning my husband's socks. You what, she said. When you go home, put them on the fire and tell him to buy some new ones. So, I obeyed her. <laughs> we don't need to punish ourselves. It's not just about putting off, though, as Phil reminded us last week. It's not just about stopping doing sinful things or things that grieve God. It's about putting on. It's about rebuilding our lives around new and right desires. I'm not going to read it all out now for time's sake, but in Colossians chapter 3, Paul tells us to put off, you know, put off slander, put off malicious behavior and so on. Put on tender-hearted mercies, etc. And finally, clothe yourself with love. So that is our instruction from, from Paul. So we are not condemned. Right, the next one that God challenged me about was regret. And this was a big one for me, actually. And this is the way that Satan really gets into our minds and can cause devastation because we go over and over and over things that have or haven't happened in the past. And God says, you know, the past is gone. Let it go. He's interested in today and he's interested in tomorrow and he's dealt with the past. So why we keep going back and rehearsing it, I've no idea, except that Satan, of course, is stirring with his big wooden spoon. So regret is the if only. If only I hadn't said that. If only I hadn't done that. If only so-and-so, or if only I had done that, if only I hadn't wasted all that time, if only I hadn't missed that opportunity. So regret is sorrow or remorse over something that has happened or disappointment over what hasn't happened, for example, wasted years. And I think the older you get, actually, you realize that you have wasted time, that you have missed opportunities, but we have to let it go. We can't turn the clock back. The Hebrew root word for regret means sigh. And in Genesis chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, we read that God regretted making man. He sighed over man and felt sorrow because of the wickedness he saw in mankind. That was just before the flood. So to feel regret doesn't necessarily mean, God, you know, a couple of times in Scripture, we read it with Moses as well. God said, oh, you know, I'm going to destroy this lot and start again. He didn't because Moses interceded. But, you know, we grieve God by our wickedness. But 
God knew in advance that sin would enter the world, and he had a plan. And that plan was that a lamb would be slain before the foundation of the world. So we don't need to grieve over what's happened in the past. If it's our fault, we need to confess. If we can make amends, okay, do it. But let it go. Stop sighing over it. Sometimes it's foolish choices we regret. And sometimes it's sin choices that we regret. If it's foolish choices, it could be something like going to the wrong college, choosing the wrong subjects at A-level, going out with the wrong boy. You know, it could be anything. Not necessarily a sinful choice, but a foolish choice. But deal with it by declaring Romans 8, 28, which is that all things work together for good, if I can find it. Yes. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and accord according to his purpose for them. So look for the good. Look for the good that's come out of that choice. Don't dwell on, on the fact that you made a wrong choice, but look for what God has done through it and thank him for it. Because he will use it for good. He will use it for good. So focus on the positives that have come out of it. Sin choices, deal with it by repenting. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So stand on the reality of God's word rather than your feelings. Don't let regret win. Give Jesus your sorrow He's already become the man of sorrows. Remember, he's already done it. Leave it with him. Don't take it back. We're very good at revisiting. Don't revisit. Leave it. He's covered it. Walk away into freedom. You know, I regret, a few things I regret that I can remember now. I've regretted twice not pursuing things in my teaching career. I had the opportunity to apply to be deputy head of one year group. And I didn't do it. And I didn't do it because I was scared, I think, that I couldn't, that I wasn't capable. Of course I was capable. And if God had given it to me, then he would have enabled me. But I let fear stop me. And then the last teaching job I had I was on supply, but I was on supply for three years at that school. And in the term that I finished, I actually gave him my notice in the end, but um, I had the opportunity to move from my department to, um, there was a special unit there for deaf children. And I had, was given the opportunity to apply for a position there where I'd have had to learn sign language and supported a deaf child um, in the classroom. And again, I didn't do it. And I thought, you know, why didn't you do it? That was a foolish, foolish choice that I made not to pursue it. But, you know, if I had pursued it, 
I wouldn't have given him my notice. My husband and I would never have bought a cafe in town. I'd never have learned how to run a cafe. And I'd never been able to do the cafe here. So even though, in a way, I thought, oh, you know, you should have gone for it, God worked it out for good. And I can see now the good that came out of it. Especially after my husband died, I'd never have had the courage to do the cafe when Chris and Lyra asked me to. If I hadn't gone through those experiences and learnt from him how to do it. So, you know, God uses everything for good, every experience for good. We've got to just look for that good and thank him for it and focus on that. Right, the next one is guilt. And again, we read, didn't we, that Jesus has dealt with that at Calvary. So we don't need to feel guilty if we have confessed our sins. He promises to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. So we don't need to feel bad about what we've done as long as we've brought it to Jesus. But guilt is feeling bad about what we have done or what we haven't done and should have done. Our response to feelings of guilt should be repentance and then confessing and then letting it go. Turn to Jesus. He's taken that guilt upon himself already. Psalm 32, 1 to 5, says, Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, finally, don't leave it to the finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Hallelujah. So, let us be a people who trust the promises of God, that he will forgive sin and remove guilt based on the blood of Jesus being shed for us. If feelings of guilt return, reject that feeling as false. The enemy will try. He'll try and sneak back in when you're not looking. Go to Psalm 103, because Psalm 103 tells you exactly what God has done for you. I love Psalm 103. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He ransoms me from death and surrounds me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. And it goes on and then it says, He has not punished us according to our sins, nor does he deal with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards us is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our rebellious acts as far away as the east is from the west, and he looks at them no more. So that's my go-to psalm when I'm struggling with various things.
You know, we're not all there. We haven't all arrived. None of us have arrived, let me tell you that. And the older you get, the more you discover there's stuff that needs to be dealt with. It's not right. Just not right. There's somebody very aged telling me. Right, the next one is shame. Now, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is about what we have done, what we have said, or what we've admitted to do, etc. Shame is about who we are. So, if I say to you, oh, I do feel bad about shouting at my kids, and I often have, that's guilt. But if I say I'm a bad mother, that is shame. Okay? You get that? So, shame is about who we are, whereas guilt is about what we've done or haven't done. Shame has to do with failure, either failure in the eyes of others or how we perceive ourselves. It may be about our own actions. It may be about something that somebody has done to us. Shame says, because this has happened to you, you are bad. Or, because you are bad, this happened to you. That is a lie. That is a lie. Jesus sets us free from shame because he took that shame on the cross at Calvary. And he covers us with his righteousness. Romans 10, 11 says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You know, Jesus was stripped. He was spat upon. He was beaten. And then he was taken outside the city and he was hung on a cross naked for all to see. He has dealt with shame. We don't have to. Hebrews 12.2 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Our natural reaction to shame is to cover our faces. You know, Adam and Eve, they hid, didn't they? Psalm 44, verse 15 says, All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. Let me tell you that that is true. Some weeks ago, a friend and I were praying through some stuff at home, my home. And we said to the Holy Spirit, If there's anything, anything in us that you want to deal with, please would you just bring it to the surface. That's a dangerous prayer to pray, because he did. I'm not going to tell you what, but both of us literally put our hands up to our faces and bowed our heads in shame. We were ashamed. Now, the one that I was ashamed about happened when I was at primary school. I'd forgotten all about it, but God knows He knew you before he formed you in your mother's womb, and he has watched over every single moment of your being. And you know, it's freeing. It is so freeing. You deal with it. You ask God to forgive you, or you release forgiveness to the person who's done whatever they've done to you, or said about you, or whatever it is. 
you accept Jesus' healing power into your life, and you walk away light instead of heavy. You walk away free instead of being in bondage to that thing. Because that's what he came to do. That's why he died on the cross. So that we could walk in freedom and be free from shame. Unresolved shame keeps us hiding. Unresolved shame keeps us hiding in the shadows. God wants to bring us out of the shadows into his glorious light. He wants, to, he wants us to move out of the shadow of the past because he has a glorious future for each and every one of you and for me. So if we're under the shadow of the past, let's deal with it today. Let's bring it to Jesus and be set free. We, again, uh, we've recently been hearing about the woman at the well. That's in John 4. I'm not going to read it. It's a long account. But Jesus met this Samaritan woman at the well. Now, she had come to the well in the heat of the day because she carried shame. She wouldn't come when the others came because she was looked down upon by the other people in her village. So they all came when it was cool in the morning. She came at midday when the sun was hot, hot, hot. But she knew that she wouldn't meet anybody. But she did meet somebody because Jesus was sitting at the well. And she had an encounter with Jesus that changed her life completely. Because Jesus knew her past, but he didn't get up and walk away and think, oh, I'm not going to talk to her. He sat and he engaged her in conversation. And it transpired that she'd been married five times and the man she was now with wasn't her husband. And that was a shameful thing. That day, that lady was set free from shame because she had an encounter with Jesus. That day, that lady moved out of the shadows. She went back to her village she told the people in the village about Jesus. They all went to see him, and he stayed in that village for two days. Many people believed because of that lady. And the villagers told her, now we believe because we've heard him for ourselves, not just because of what you've told us. And that's my prayer today, that you will believe because you will allow the Holy Spirit to set you free not because I've told you he set me free, but you will know because he does it for you. You will know because you've asked the Holy Spirit to show you, th show you things that need to be dealt with. And you will feel his touch and you will know his love and you will know his freedom. That is my prayer for you. Don't stop the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. God is love. God is love. So really today we have a choice to begin or to continue our journey into freedom by getting rid of regret, guilt, shame, and condemnation. To empty ourselves of these things so God can fill us with his spirit. God wants to channel his power through you and me, amazing though it may sound. 
Let's get rid of the blockages. You know, in 1 Samuel 16, we read that, that Saul disobeyed God. And Samuel was the prophet at that time, as you know. And Saul, I'm not going to go into the story, but just to say he, he disobeyed God big time. So God had decided he could no longer be king. And God had it in his mind to anoint David as king. But you know, Samuel was in the pit of despair. He was moping around the place. Until in the end, God said to him, stop it. Now stop it. Stop grieving for Saul. He's had his day. And I've got a new king for you to go and anoint. And you know, maybe God is saying to some of us today, stop rehearsing the past. Stop going over that. Stop hanging on to that. I've got new things for you to do. I've got a new adventure for you to pursue. I've got a new ministry. I've got new people for you to engage with. I've got new things for you. Let go of the past. Just as Samuel had to let go of Saul in order to anoint the new king David, some of us need to let go so that we can step into the amazing new things that God has for us. We're in an exciting season. Let's not be held back with a ball and chain around our ankle because we won't let God deal with this stuff in our lives. He died that we might be free. Let's step into that freedom. So my question is, are you willing for the Holy Spirit to dig deep? You know, he doesn't only expose those things that need to be dealt with. He exposes the treasure in us. There's treasure in each and every one of us. There's potential that's not yet been tapped that God's want to, God wants to tap into. And like the villagers said to the woman at the well, it's not because of what you've said, but it's because I've met Jesus for myself. Are you ready to meet Jesus for yourself? Are you ready to let him come in, put his finger on things, set you free? I pray that that is the case.